Hi, this is Beast Pod Nine Men. Today's episode is a special one. We're featuring Trevor Nell's interview with Martin Allen. So Trevor's been doing some great work on his footballwriting.blog account and recently he started interviewing some Barnet legends. And after I heard the Martin Allen interview, I contacted Trevor and I said, what are you going to do with the audio? And he said, nothing at the moment. So I suggested, why don't we put it up as a podcast on Beast Pod? So we have it in all its glory. It's a long one. So sit tight. I'm going to put it in two parts. And hopefully, if you haven't heard it already, enjoy. Right. Thanks for sitting down with me, Martin. Um, you and I both know we tried to uh, get together, didn't we, before all the coronavirus and everything hit and didn't quite make it. Um, and um, you came up with the idea of, of, of uh, today at three o'clock, which is probably actually quite poignant given it's five years to the exact day totally that um, we won promotion back to the Football League, obviously under you. Um, first off, I'd like to say thank you to Ben Strevens if Ben's watching. I know he doesn't do Facebook, but I did tell him to borrow someone else's login. Um, he actually gave me your number, he's kind enough too, so obviously I'll get in touch with you. Um, and um, all week I've been asking for questions from Barnet fans. I've had a few from a couple of other people, West Ham fans, Gillingham fans as well, um, friends of mine as well that have given me bits. So we've got quite a bit to get through. Um, obviously, like today, being the day of the Gateshead game, we're about two hours early, but um, as it was. Um, and uh, you and I both obviously watched the rerun um, and uh, we'll go through and revisit the game with points as well. Um, I've put together sort of quite a little bit, like different points through the through your career and stuff, but together with questions like to ask and stuff, but, you know, bits and pieces of those times. And um, I know you've put together some bits and pieces as well to share, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. To, um, obviously, we're all in this lockdown, so we can't go out or can't do anything. So it's boring. <coughs> So I've done a couple of others for a couple of other clubs, which was uh, good fun. And I thought it'd be a nice time to, um, you know, on, on our anniversary, uh, where we got this, <laughs> this, uh, this special day to, um, to just to meet and talk and chat with uh, Barnet fans, just to pass the time for the afternoon, really. And I have got my, uh, my favourite, or I reckon's my best. But I've had sleepless nights trying to work out my best Barnet 11 and seven subs, and it's virtually mission impossible how, uh, how to get this right. Fantastic. Okay. Um, take you back in time to 2003-2004. Um, that was the first time you arrived at Barnet with Peter Shreve um, and the ex-Tottenham manager, and obviously then subsequently took over on your own. How did that come about, arriving at Barnet in the first place? <laughs> When I was at home, I think it was a, um, a Wednesday night, I took a phone call from Peter Shreve, just sitting on the sofa watching the telly like you do. And um, he said, uh, Martin, Martin, he said, I need to speak to you. So I went out into the kitchen. Um, I said, what's up, Pete? Well, he was my boss, if you like. And uh, he said, um, I've resigned this evening. He said, I've told the chairman to give it to you to the end of the season, see what you can do. And um, good luck. He said, don't worry about me. I'm absolutely fine. Get on with the job and do it. So five minutes later, the, uh, the chairman called me. He said, uh, I'd like you to, uh, to carry on with the job and we'll see how it goes. 
and um, that, and that that is as simply as quickly as it all started. And I remember my first game um, like it was uh, like it was yesterday. We played Hereford at home. They were top of the league. Uh, we hadn't won for a while. It hadn't been going great. Um, Graham Turner was the manager, and their coach is the coach who's now coach at Aston Villa. Very good coach. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing day. Um, first time ever to be a manager and having that responsibility in the technical area at Underhill. They battered us and we won one nil, I think. And they absolutely battered us. But every player in that team run run himself into the ground and uh, to get or escape with a one nil win. And I remember all the fans behind the technical area at Underhill and I was saying, come on, come on, we've got to clap and cheer this team. Um, amazing day, amazing day, exhausting day. Hold on, doors open. Um, amazing day, but a great day and a day I'll never, ever forget. And then obviously going on to the, to the following season, you started to build a team that got in and around the playoffs as well. Um, what were you looking in terms of the players you wanted then that you needed to push the club on forward? Crikey, it was a long time ago. It was a long <laughs> time ago. Um, uh, I'm just thinking of more players, by the way. Every now and then another <laughs> player comes into my mind uh, from what would have been a good player for, for that best barn at 11 of my barn at 11. Um, no. It, it was when I've just finished playing football as a footballer. Um, I was faced with a situation of uh, what was I, 32, 33 years old. I had no other career training, and you're probably looking at maybe I don't know what is it, it's another 35 years work of how I was going to earn a living. I didn't have any other qualifications apart from coaching and training. And all footballers have this. It's not just me. Um, and I've done okay in football, but I certainly didn't have enough money to actually have a, you know, a decent lifestyle. My life, my whole life had to change when I finished playing football. So when that opportunity came around for Mr. Cleanthos to, uh, to come to Barnet, um, work you know, for, for Peter Shreve, and then to be the manager, for me, it was my big opportunity for me to earn money and have a career for the rest of my living life, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I've been able to go on holidays and have a nice house and look after my children and my family okay. But then, as I say, it was a massive question mark. So this opportunity in those games and for that following season was absolutely vital that I got it right. And I worked um, seven days a week, 24-7. I was absolutely non-stop. Everywhere and anywhere there was a football match, I would be there to try and find players. And we saw the uh, the fruits of that with some of the players that came in. Um, you know, I had been to see them play. I had done the driving, um, got the players. And of course, the, 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 the chairman uh, backed me with those players. Uh, and we got ourselves a decent team together. And um, obviously... The major deal that season was swapping Junior Agogo for Giuliano Grazioli, who uh, obviously uh, put his own name in, in history the year after that. Um, how did that deal come about? Because obviously Junior scored 19, 20 goals for us the year before, which would have been you know, ideal for your spearheaded striker. Why the change to Graz? 
Um, well, first of all, God bless uh, Junior Agogo. Uh, he's, he's no longer with us, sadly. Uh, he's a really nice lad. I really got on well with him uh, when I was coach under Peter. But I just felt we needed something different in our team. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not speaking out of order and out of turn uh, for Junior. Because um, I had a nice chat with him. I didn't fall out with him. He was, he was offside too often. Yeah. He never, I uh, never thought he was a good uh, player within our team framework. And he also had interest from other clubs and his agent was double, double busy behind the scenes trying to get him a move. Yeah. As most agents are, to be honest, when their players are doing well, which is normal and standard practice. And I can, and I do respect that. So when, it, when the chance came for him to go to Bristol Rovers, I didn't think that, that was much of a step up anyway. I thought that was like, really going there um and then i had a phone call from a guy called john Steele, and he said <laughs> yeah. martin martin he said we want uh, junior he said i'm telling you now i'm telling you now take grazioli he's not had a chance at bristol rovers he's a london boy take him he will score goals just give the boy an opportunity so and i trusted john because I first worked at Barnet, and not many people know this, I used to go and take training at Barnet when John Steele was the manager, when I was a gardener. I didn't get paid. Yeah. And I worked for about five months, and I used to go in three days a week. After doing my gardening, I used to drive to Firstfield, take training. He used to take training on a Friday, obviously, because he'd do the team preparation. Yeah. I used to take, not all of the training, but quite a lot of it. I've done that for about six months. So he said to me, take him. Anyway, cut a long story short. I was at Fursfield Sports Centre. Having a coffee in a communal sports centre like it is, people's all milling about, dropping kids off to the nursery. Some people going swimming or playing badminton and whatever. And I was sat with Adrian Whitbread and Damien Doyle, the physio and the coach. And we were chatting away and talking away. And then on my right-hand side, just here, um, this little bloke was stood there. So I kind of looked across and said, uh, can I help you, mate? He stood a bit closer than what you normally stand, if you know what I mean. Mm. So he laughed. I said, are you all right? <laughs> like giving him another look. And he went, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. He said, I'm Giuliano Grazioli. And I said, you're not. He said, I am. He said, don't you recognise me? I went, no. And there was, a, there was an awkward silence. I went, all right. I didn't know that Grazioli was only about five foot seven. <laughs> <laughs> God's honest truth, I'd never even seen him play. Never. So I said, great. So I called Andrew Aidy, Andrew Aidy drove up from the ground, we got his contract signed, yeah. and we'd signed Grazioli. <laughs> My God, what a signing, what a man, what a signing, what a player. Um, funny, happy, enjoyed the training, loved scoring. Um, ideal player, ideal player. And, you know, when it came to getting players over the years, I've had to rely on friends to give me players just like I did with Grazioli. 
And I thought Gratz gave us something more when we didn't have the ball. And then his setup play to help the team, I thought he fitted into the work ethic that I thought was necessary to be a top team. Um, and then obviously with that team, you laid the foundations for Paul Fairclough in effect for him to then push Barnett into the um, into the football league. Um, that year, though, we saw your methods really for the first first time. A small squad, but quality rather than quantity. Um, and the team ethic as well. How did you build that into or get the players to buy into what you wanted? Um, how did you get them to do that? I suppose through training, um, not having a big squad, having humble, hard working, down to earth, um, competitive. Um, Players like Plummer, Hendon, Grazioli. Um, who did we have playing it in Gower? I think was around then. Mm. I know he got sold. Um, we just had good good players all round, and they all bought into what we were trying to do. Uh, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go on, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they bought into what we were trying to do. Um, I explained it to them. At the time, at the time, you can imagine when I've just finished playing in my first job, yeah. I did have a bit of a zero tolerance style, management style. Um, I remember writing up on the flip chart at Fursfield upstairs, the, the capital letters, capital F, capital I, capital F, capital O. Now, normally it's FIFA, isn't it? F-I-F-A. Yeah. Yeah. And I sort of looked around the group and I said, does anybody know what this means? And they sort of all looked at me and I said, well, have a little think about it. And I gave them a few minutes and they're all sitting there chatting, but no one came up with any answers. <laughs> and in the end, I walked back into the room with that horrible face that I sometimes can have and said, what it means is exactly this. Fit in or something off. <laughs> <laughs> So I said, if you want to, if you want to do your own thing, then you go somewhere else and play. If you want to fit in to what we're doing, not I, what we're going to be doing together, yeah. it's FIFO, FIFO, FIFO all the time. Um, and everybody, thankfully, uh, worked to that uh, to that work ethic. We had a tremendous group of players, and then Paul, of course, added it, added to it with a couple of other good players, or a few other good players, not a couple. And then uh, led them to that uh, championship, which was uh, which was brilliant for those players. They fully deserved it. Yeah. Okay, and also following that, spells at uh, Brentford, MK Dons, Leicester, Cheltenham. What did you learn about yourself in that time away at those clubs? Um, well, as this is uh, this is this is predominantly for uh, for all Barnet fans. And um, you know all the supporters of Barnet Football Club that have been so good to me over the years. So all those times and those trips and those uh, you know away, um, I suppose we might may as well cover it. The fact when a, when a club comes in from two divisions above that you're working at and in the football league, it's, that's a very tough decision to make to turn that down. We were in a good position, and I can understand a lot of Barnet fans being uh, unhappy. 
um, with me for leaving at that point. But an opportunity to go two divisions up and work as a manager in the Football League was uh, was just phenomenal to go and do that. Our last away game at uh, four... Barnet was away at Ebbsfleet and around the back it's not like it now but at the time Ebbsfleet's ground was around the back there was an old dirt track with holes and potholes in the road all the London buses were yeah, parked yeah I remember right that side. and as we walked back to our bus because the bus couldn't come in had to stay out on the road all the fish and chip papers and the abuse and it was a completely different world well two weeks later if you can imagine and I suppose as a Barnet fan, I hope you can see it from my point of view. Um, we were at Hillsborough, Sheffield Wednesday. Different, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. In standing in the Technoquare at Hillsborough, I think there's about 30,000 people there. It was the most remarkable moment in our lives, really, such a transition. And of course, I cannot hide that the, the, your wages get doubled to go up two divisions. And for my life as a, as, you know, we were, You've got a supply for your family. You've got to, or you have to. And opportunities don't come along so uh, so very often to make uh, those jumps. And when they do, in the job that I do, you have to make the most of it. And I use that word job, whereas for you, talking to you about your love for Barnet Football Club and the people that have got tattoos and they wear their shirts and they remember every game, um... And that love that you have when you have got a football club. I haven't got one club that I support. Mm. I've just grown up as a little boy because my dad was a football manager. Wherever he was, I used to go and support him. And wherever I was training, I used to go and play for that club. And I used to support that club that I was basically playing for. I've never had that feeling for one club. Like Barnet fans, where granddad and his son and his wife, and then the grandkids all go to football. I've never had that in my life. It wasn't part of my life. So that move to Brentford was really the big, big jump. And from my time with two years with Barnet, I knew all the good players that were around to take up to that level. And I put them into a team with some other good players that were already there and uh, had, a, had an unbelievable two years. But it was hard work. It was 24-7, non-stop work. Very similar work ethic to what I had at um, Barnet. And by the end of it, I was, after failing in the playoffs, absolutely mentally and physically exhausted. And my mistake that I made is I should have had a break, yeah. a proper six-month break um, for my own well-being, my yeah. Um, yeah. Mental state, mindset. Yeah. yeah mental state the mk don's job was uh, again hard work it was a club about two relegations they were on free fall and again i had to go in and upset people bring new people in get rid of people and it was again it was a 24 7 high maintenance job and then at the end of that season again playoffs a good run in the league cup um and that that offer to go to leicester city um, that's a once in a lifetime isn't it that one it was a once in a lifetime but um, by the end of it it, was, it didn't last long which was no surprise for those people that know me to work for that chairman who's never going to work <laughs> uh, I was absolutely exhausted 
Um, I needed to have a break health-wise, yeah. my own well-being. Um, I took time out um, to get help, <laughs> to get looked after. And um, at the time, it was tough. Everyone thought it was a dream job, but it turned into an absolute nightmare. Um, absolute nightmare. The results were good, but off the field and behind the scenes, what was going on was, um, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Okay. And then, um, obviously, out of that, you spent a little bit of time out of the game and then first returned back to Barnet for eight games. Um, but you only saw, saw out three. Barnet survived, obviously. Um, what was the lure from Notts County? Was it the bigger club, the more money? Notts County is a big club. Mm. There ain't no doubt about that. I know they've gone down again, you know, with the stupid chairman that they had. It's no surprise that they got relegated. Um, Notts County is a big club. That mm. is a big club. They've got a big fan base. Yeah, They have a big fan base. Uh, and uh, it was a great opportunity. And as I say, you know, it's a, for me, it's a job. It is a job. I have to, um, if I don't do well, um, as has been seen, and I, I, I never complain when I get the sack. Never, ever do I complain. You know, you have to take it on the, on the chins. Um, if you, if you, <laughs> you don't win games, yep. you don't do well, yep. then you get the sack. And if they decide to sack you, then no, don't complain. You've had your chance. And likewise, don't complain if you win 10 straight wins and get to the fifth round of the FA Cup when a club from the division above wants to take you. That's fair game for me. Yeah, no, I quite agree. And I've lived by the lived by, lived on the edge. Yeah. Um, I don't think I was ever going to be a type of character that was going to stay anywhere for ten years. It's not my style. Um, so um, yeah, I could I could take a deep breath and I can understand the and empathise with some of those um, Barnet fans um, that they would be disappointed in. Me and my actions and uh, the way I went about my stuff, I can understand that. Um, but also, I suppose, I would hope, I would hope that they would understand that uh, I have to make a living and I have to make the best of it as I possibly can. Um, and then obviously, back to Barnet again after Notts County. Um, three games this time, we stay up yet again. That final day win over Burton as well. Um, was that though a case of you were never going, never destined to stay after those three games? Was it literally a free game? Thank you, Tony, but I'll um, I'll try somewhere else. Um, if I remember, and I stand to be corrected, I do stand to be corrected. Uh, it was quite a while ago. Um, it, it was just to come in and do the games. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I literally did just yeah. do the games. Uh, and. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget Burton Albion away. Um, I'm not sure how many minutes it was before half time when Zola had that penalty towards the Barnet fans. <laughs> Two nil just before half time, I think would have killed us. Yeah. I stood in that technical area looking across. We haven't played well. The players have not performed. We had, we'd froze, if you like, on the day. <laughs> And uh, when he smashed over the crossbar, <laughs> when Zola smashed that ball over the crossbar, I knew we'd win. I knew we'd win. 
we got them in the, the dressing room at half time. It was a hot day. I had a jumper and a shirt on my tie on. And by the time they'd all sat down, no one said nothing. Everyone was absolutely scared stiff, I think, by that point. Um, my face was not the friendliest. My jumper was off. My tie was off. My shirt was off. I was walking around that dressing room threatening to kill everybody. Um, threatened everybody, every one of them, every one of them. Accused them and said horrible things to them. And uh, no way. There's no way we're going down with that. Let's go out and play. Play. You're good players. You can play. And then thankfully we had that lad called Ricky Holmes. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he was brilliant in the second half. He was the one that really changed that game. He, he came out and lifted everybody. And then, um, if you remember, we went 2-1 up when I think it was Hughes he Not scored Hughes, yeah. from yeah. that half volley. Yeah. And then, in about the 94th minute, Burton had a corner down to my left from the technical area. And the corner was an outswinger and it came towards the penalty spot. So looking from the technical area, I'm looking at down at the goal and their centre-back has attacked the ball at the penalty spot and it edited it. And I'm right behind it and I'm seeing the ball curling, curling off the header into the top corner. For that second or split second, I can see that ball now in the back of the net. And our goalkeeper, I've had too many footballs, I can't remember, <laughs> tipped it over the crossbar. <laughs> but if that edder would have gone in, obviously we were relegated. Yeah. When that when edder that got tipped over, oh my God, the relief from all of us on the bench, it was like, oh my God. As a manager, you're stood in that technical area praying that it's going to go your way. And the feeling at the end to have won that game, the magic of all those supporters behind the goal, you know, that, that, that sort of stuff stays with you forever. Um, was that better than winning the championship against Gateshead? It's a completely different feeling. Yeah. Completely different mindset. Um, but Burton Albion away and Zola's penalty... <laughs> I think nearly at the crossbar. Didn't know he nearly at the scoreboard. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a mental, mental day, and um, never to be forgotten. Okay. Um, then obviously on to Gillingham, first league title for you, um, and then back to Barnet for the fourth time, um, second title there. But we'll we'll come on to the Gateshead stuff and that season a bit later. Um, <laughs> then also, pardon. It's nearly half time. Uh, well, it's half three, isn't it? So, well, uh, after after what 20, 27 minutes, we'd have been one 0 up against Gateshead, wouldn't we? With Mario yeah. in in like two hours' time. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, one 0 up we beat. Um, obviously, then came the move to Eastleigh. Um, do you think that was the right time to have a change from Barnet to move on to somewhere else? Um, are we going to go? Have we gone past the Gateshead game? And the yeah, we'll do that as a whole separate thing of, of okay. the season once we've got. Okay, let's in. just lead into that. Let me just lead into yeah. that. Um, after we'd finished that Burton game, um, 
uh, I'd settled down with my settled down and you know won the game and stayed up and all that sort of stuff. And I had a good chat with my son George, who's quite a bright lad. He's a very bright lad. Um, chartered accountant, very clever boy, but he's also very bright. And he said to me, Dad, he said, you need to um, think about uh, your career. He said, because at the moment, all you do is take over teams that are firefighting. Yeah. He said, and you've got close with MK Dons, you've got close with Brentford twice. He said, you need to, you need to get your head down and get a promotion. He said, you've got to get a promotion. He said, if not, he said, you're always going to be one of these that comes in at the end for the last few months. Yeah. He said, you need to try and build something and get something going. So I thought that was pretty good advice. And so I had a good look at what I did and my training and my work. And I think most Barnet fans would recognise for those first few years, should be able to recognise. My youth team manager at QPR, when I was a little boy, was a, a manager, my coach, my manager was co was called George Graham. Oh, yes, yeah. And I had three years working under George Graham. Yeah. He was Sergeant Major. We played 4-4-2, um, two tough tackling central midfield players. Yeah. Two headers of the ball at centre-back. Yeah. Two wide players that would come back and help their full-backs. And if you're defending a number 10 that would come back and help your midfield players. The other centre-forward was always going to be one that would go in behind to threaten yeah. in behind. Yeah. I had three years under George Graham learning. So everything that used to do with George Graham, I took on with me. And obviously, he went on to um, the other team in North London and done pretty well. Yeah. All those things he used to do with them, I was doing at Barnet. Same, same drills, same exercises, same everything, same mentality, yeah. fit in or FIFO. It was the same. Everything was from George. Things have changed now. Yeah. And when we, uh, when I took on that that job at um, at Gillingham, there was a massive change in my playing style. And I think when we got to the Barnet winning team, yeah. there was a massive change in the in the playing style of that team yeah. to take us to that championship. So we'll come on to that, as you rightly say, uh, in, in a little while. Okay. Um, obviously, easily it didn't work out. Um, <laughs> did you... <laughs> that was never going to work out. Have you watched Sunderland in Netflix? Not yet, no. It's on, it's on my list of things to do when the wife's not around. Um, did you sort of think then, do I want another job? Is that enough for me? Because obviously you'd had the scare with your heart problems as well. Yeah, the, the last few years I have had the on and off bits and pieces that have caused the alarm and appointments at consultants and the hospitals in, in Reading. Um, so it hasn't been, it hasn't just been plain sailing. Yeah. Um, both my parents died young of cancer. So, of course, there's always that bit in the back of my head that's always a bit like, oh my God. I've got to make the most of every day because you never yeah. know how long uh, you're going to last. No. Um, the, the Eastley move uh, came, came completely out of the blue, came absolutely, totally. I actually met um, a Barnet supporter 
in Tesco's in Henley-on-Thames, not too far from where I live. Yeah. And I was at the checkout with my wife, Lisa. And he was at the next checkout and he turned around. Not many people where I live know anything about football. It's all <laughs> like rowing and cricket and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Um, and I very rarely get bothered by anyone about football. And he, uh, he said, oh, uh, Martin, he said, I'm a Barnet fan. So I had 10 minutes with him chatting at the, dug at the, the dugout, at the checkout. And um, just told him, looking forward to the new game, the next games, and how well the team's been playing. And we're starting to look good. Yes, so we're yeah. established yeah. in this division. And uh, if we recruit well and add to this group, that we could go on and do well. Uh, about an hour later, everything changed everything changed it's got a telephone call from an agent he's they spoke to uh, the chairman at barnet um they were willing to pay the compensation yeah. which allows me to go and talk to them i sat down and spoke to them and it was like oh my god uh it was a big deal it was a big deal and it was not something uh, in the position that I'm in that I can, I, you can't turn that sort of deal down. You can't. You'd be absolutely mad. With the players and the relationship I had with the players, um, I think footballers know and understand that if they do well, they clubs will come in for them and they go on and do better things. And if they don't do well, they all know that they get, uh, don't get a new contract and they have to go and often work at a lower level with lower money, and sometimes part-time. And I know that if you don't do well, then you um, you get the sack anyway. Yeah. You know, the manager's been sacked at Barnet. There ain't been no loyalty to them, that's for sure. And it goes both ways. So the easily moved, um, nah, didn't enjoy it there at all. Um, just didn't enjoy it. Okay. Um, and then I can tell you a lot more, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, and then obviously we're back to Barnet again for the fifth time. Um, was that by far the worst situation you've inherited in all the time you've been back to Underhill or the Hive? In what way? Uh, situation, how far adrift they were at the bottom, um, the size of the squad they had. Uh, I thought um, they had some good players. Mm -hmm. I could tell that they were underperforming. I, I don't go to any of the games, by the way. Yeah. So, but I just read and watch and uh, see what's happening, of course. Uh, I still know, uh, uh, I'm not friends with the players, but I know some of those players and I'm interested in how they do. I don't ring them and text them all the time, but of course I've got an interest. Um, the last day, uh, the Luton game away, we played well. Um, <laughs> my dog died the day before the game. <laughs> yeah, someone's rude that, yeah. Uh, which was an absolute shocker. He'd been with me for, what, 13 and a half years. Nearly 99% of me, my time next to me. Um, so losing my dog was an absolute nightmare. It wasn't a Friday, it was a Thursday afternoon. Um... So that didn't put me in a good place, uh, but I obviously I kept that away from everybody at work. Um, 
And when I got home, obviously there was a lot of tears and a lot of unhappiness and sadness in our house when we didn't have Monty. Going to Luton, I thought that our team played absolutely superb. Yeah, we did. Yeah, played very well. Yeah, uh, John had a good chance in the yeah. second half to equalise, but we missed. But we played extremely well, and I was absolutely comfortable when they came in after the game. I just said, "Well done to everybody. Um, that was good. Keep up that, and we'll be okay." And then I think we had to go. Did we play Stevenage? I think we played Stevenage away. Um, didn't play well. The crowd weren't happy. We didn't play well. But then after that, we did play well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the way through. All the way through. All the way through. The away game at Morecambe. Uh, we played very well at Morecambe. And then with uh, 20 minutes to go, Adrian Whitbread, um, and I think Cole Muggleton was with us as well. Yeah, yeah. They came over to me and sort of whispered, uh, I, th I think we need to, Gaffer, we're going to make a change. They're both looking at me like, come on, make a change. Yeah. I said, no, no, we're, uh, we're absolutely fine. We're playing well. The game will open up. The pitch is a big pitch. So the pitch was opening up. Um, we'll get a chance. We'll get a chance. So it went all quiet, just like it just did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, don't worry, don't panic. We're absolutely fine. And I just kept looking forward. Yeah. <laughs> they they were shuffled back into their <laughs> corner. And when I've got that face on, it's probably pretty difficult for them to, I'd imagine, trying to get me to change my mind. But when he struck that half volley from the edge of the box into the bottom corner, 500 fans over to my right, I think that's 500. Maybe been 400, but it don't matter whether it's 400, 500, or 50. The moment and the magic of those fans that were sat to my right up in the stand, and um, magical moment, magical moment. The players, the celebration, the final whistle, the celebration at the end, all those people that travelled all that far and that long distance, um, they started to believe. They, I could tell they believed, the players believed. I knew we could stay up. I knew we could. Um, it, was, it was magical, absolutely magical. I'm not sure who we played after that. Chesterfield. But then when it came up, who? Chesterfield. Chesterfield. Was that yeah. the last game? That's the last game. That was the last game, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, if you remember, they played really well for the first 20 minutes. Uh, they got it down and they popped the pass in and they were moving the ball around on the pitch, which yeah. was beautiful to watch. Um, it was good football, uh, good football that they played. And then after that, we just steamrolled them. Yeah. Um, and then when we heard the scores and the quietness of the, of the stadium uh, in the second half, it was a long 45 minutes in the second half. 3-0 um, up. Um, wanted to cry, um, but obviously you can't in my position. I really thought we'd stay up. I really did think we would uh, we would do it. What happened at the other other ground between um, those other two clubs? I'm not going to comment on that. Mm. Um, it was it was a magical time. It was a magical moment. Uh, uh, very. 
very sad. And obviously from there, up to Chesterfield. Um, yeah. Again, another club that's well-supported. Um, been in the Championship, FA Cup semi-finals. Um, quite a big quite a big rebuild task to take on. Um, what was the reason for going there? Maybe not trying to rebuild Barnet again? Well, the contract I had was to the end of the season, so it was yeah. to the Chesterfield game. Okay. So when the Chesterfield game finished, um, my contract was up. I didn't get paid on Sunday, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, so you're allowed then. I didn't do anything before the Chesterfield game because obviously there was no, no way I was going to talk to anybody before um, I finished the job yeah. at uh, Barnet. Um, but they, uh, as they're entitled to, they made me an offer, uh, which was a fantastic offer. And uh, I ex explained to my wife that we have to move out again. Um, we had to go. We had to go. I spoke to Tony, of course. Yeah. I spoke to the to Tony. Um, had a long chat with Tony on the phone and explained the situation. I explained the contract that I'd been offered and what was in you know what was in the contract. Yeah. And he said, "Well, I'll, I'll, he did make me a good offer." He's got. Yeah. He said he did make me a good offer, but. Um, I decided uh, Chesterfield is a big club, by the way. Mm. They will come back. They have got an amazing fan base. Uh, got a fantastic stadium. They've got a fantastic training ground. Um, the offer that they made me, you know, no one in their right mind was going to say no to that. It's a bit no similar to Eastley. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, and I just needed more time. I needed more time. Twenty-seven thousand pound a week. Twenty-seven thousand pound a week. A week I saved off their wage bill. That's a lot, yeah. A week. So you you can't. It's quite difficult when you let all your best players go. Yeah. To, to turn that that round in six months, it's not not impossible. But when you save that sort of money, um, and it was just like, um, what do you call it, a car boot sale? Everyone yeah. was available. Mm. Everyone was available. Everyone. I was on the phone every day offering players out to cut the wages down because the wages were so high on all the players. And I, I did it. I did it. But when you lose your best players and your top goal scorers, both go, and you don't spend any money getting any new ones in, you don't win. Yeah. Bottom line. <laughs> um, nearly 600 games as a manager, nearly 400 as a player. Is this a career so far that you hoped you'd have had for your life? Um, well, firstly, the, the games. Um, uh, my, my upbringing as a little boy was a little bit different. Uh, to most other people. My dad was a, a good footballer in the Reading area, Reading town of Reading. That was when Reading was, uh, um, it was just a, it was a small, much smaller Reading without the M4 motorway. Yeah. And uh, if you lived in Reading, you worked in Reading. You didn't sort of live in Reading and go to London or people didn't come from outside to come to Reading. It was like Reading was Reading. And so wherever my dad went, whenever I was with my dad, everyone knew my dad, everyone. Yeah. He was 
Amos. Like he played for Reading for ten years, and uh, he was a good player, good player at that level, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So from a young age, um, he used to drill it into me that uh, he asked me if I wanted to play football when I was about seven or eight. So I, I've played football from when I was a little kid, and he kind of coached me and trained trained me to be a footballer uh, from when I was a little boy. I used to have to go out and practice. I used to have to go out and do juggling. I used to have to go out and do my left foot. As I got a bit older, I used to have to go out and do five-mile runs on my own. So friendships and stuff like that at school were just like, what is that? Yeah. All I was interested in every school holidays, I was training at another football club somewhere in the country because I could have sort of open to be able to sign for quite a few different clubs to go training with them. I didn't see any friends at school or anybody. I drilled from a kid and all it was all about ever about was just uh, my focus, my focus, my, my focus was always just to make one league appearance, one game, just to play one game. And uh, he put that belief into me. He had that faith in me. He was very, very critical. He was very hard on me. Very tough uh, childhood. Yeah. Um, rightly or wrongly, who's to say? I mean, times have changed now, socially, how we bring children up. Now I was brought up, it, it was tough. You know, I had it hard. Um, when I had a school report, my school report wasn't very good because in class, you could imagine, I used to be the sharpest with my tongue and with the mess about and do stuff. And I'd be sitting there dreaming about being a footballer and then my blue school report came home and I showed my mum and my mum was like oh my god that's a nightmare what have you been doing you need to concentrate if you're not a footballer what are you going to be and an half hour later my dad came home from work and uh, he saw the school report in the kitchen they both came into the front room and he said to me, he looked at the school report and he was flicking through the school report and he said, uh, have you been running? I went, no. He said, you better get your, as an F word, he better, you better get the F in running out there now. He said, because you ain't going to do nothing through going to school. He said, go and get your training done. And get on with it. And he threw the school report at me. My mum said to him, is that all you've got to say about his school report? And he went, yeah, he's going to be a footballer. And he walked out the room. <laughs> oh, my God. You can imagine. I had it drilled into me like that from when I was a little boy. And he had that total 100% belief in me that I was going to do it. So to play all those games um, was unbelievable. To finish through injury when I was 32, my knee wasn't good when I was at West Ham. So uh, I was hanging on really towards the end, just hanging on, hanging around. And then all these games in management, what did you say, it's nearly 600? Nearly 600, yeah, you're about nine games short of 600. Well, that's quite unbelievable, you know, mm. that first one at Hereford. That first, that first game against Hereford is, has got to be up there. It's got to be right up um, you know, that, that day was a magical day. Because if I hadn't won those games, that, that, that those games towards the end of that season, if I hadn't won those games, he might not have given me the job. Damien Doyle, Damien Doyle and Adrian Whitbread were working for nothing. Yeah. 
I asked them if they'd come and do me a favour because neither of them had a job. And uh, Damien is now obviously the um, the, co- uh, the the sports scientist and physio for the Four Island Squad. Yeah. And uh, Adrian Whitbread's been working in America and has been coach of the Puerto Rican national team. He's done a fantastic job. And at the beginning, neither of those two had a job. I asked them to come and help me for no money because there wasn't any money to pay them. Mm. Just through to the end of the season. And I promised them if we stayed up, if we'd done well, yeah. and I got a con for the next season, that they would both stay. My God, they've both also gone on and had, what, 20, 30-year careers, which oh, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, being the day that it is, t- it is today, with the title we won at the Hyde, um, we'll have a, have a good chat about that Gateshead game. That this one? That's the one, I think. That's the one. And <laughs> <laughs> um, as, as, as I said to you earlier, I watched it back this morning, um, all the way through. Um, you obviously saw it the other day, um, and obviously I've done the blog piece anyway on the evening, which I'd sent to you, which is why we're actually sitting here today. Um, there's another one going up this evening, which obviously just is the whole day of Gateshead, um, and I'll plug it, footballwriting.blog, which is mine, um, which everyone will be able to see that this evening as well. Um, Obviously, the whole the whole season there wasn't very often where we weren't sitting on the top of the table, um, and going back to probably a few days, week or two before the Chester game, and we signed Lee Cook and um, Sam Togwell, who were two quite influential players, especially early on. Um, when did you think we've got a good shot at this? Um, Ten years earlier, when I think when. Paul Fairclough took Barnet up. Um, there was a good point during the season when I thought myself, it was like, yes, we'll do this. Um, was there a particular game, month, or were you quite confident before the season started? Um, I had an agreement with Gavin Mann yeah. to sign things to play holding central midfield in front of the back four, just like Sweeney did when we had that good little run not so long ago. Yeah. He was going to be a key player. A key player, because he was good with the ball, he knew how to defend, and he wouldn't run all over the pitch, but he would stay in the middle of the pitch. He came in one morning, halfway through pre-season. Yeah. He said, can I have five minutes? He was early. So I said, yeah, of course, shut the door. He said, uh, I can't take the contract. And what? Yeah. He said, I can't take the contract. So I said, what do you mean you can't take the contract? I said, you've come in to sign it. He went, no. Nah. He said, I'm going to go off. He said, I've had an offer to be an agent. He said, I'm going to start a new career. I went, you're joking. He went, no. He said, I've just driven down from Birmingham. He said, I want to tell you face to face. He said, I don't want, didn't want to ring you last night. He stood up. He said, I just want to shake your hand and thank you. He shook my hand, shut the door. I sat back in my chair in the office. I went, oh my God. What am I going to do now? So I went upstairs to see the chairman. And he said, 
Martin, Martin, he said, I've told you many times, I've told you. He said, wait till the last week and then the players that haven't got contracts at other clubs, they will be knocking on our door wanting to sign for us. He said, don't worry about him. He said, we'll move on to somebody else. He said, just trust me, trust me. Yeah. I looked at him and I looked at him and I thought... <laughs> Sounds like Daniel Levy, that does save it to the last week. <laughs> yeah. so, so I went downstairs, um, gathered my thoughts and got myself together. And then it was a, a mad, mad, mad couple of weeks. I was on the phone to as many people as I possibly could. So you've got no scouts at Barnet, you have to just yeah. do it yourself. And John Nurse as well, he was really helpful. Yeah. So we were running, ringing around trying to get central midfield players, central midfield players, central midfield players. And I got a, a text message from somebody I didn't know it was from. And um, at the bottom of it was from someone called Sam Togwell, if he could come and train. So he came in the next day and I said, what position do you play then? He went central midfield. I said, what sort of position, what sort of player are you then? He yeah. said, well, I play in front of the back four. He said, I'd sort of protect the back four. So I said, perfect. Yeah. I said, train with us for a week and then we see how you get on. He'd done okay and he looked all right and that, that, that sort of went all right. And then Mr. Chairman said, yeah, well, I've got a founder player. And he said, has he got another deal? And I said, no one. He went, great. He said, let's offer him what we can pay him. <laughs> and if he's got nothing else, he'll have to sign. So that one worked out okay. Yeah. And then I think just about a week to go, week to go, an agent called me and said, I've got Lee Cook. He hasn't got a club. Um, he don't live far from you. Who wants to come and play for you at Barnet? I told the chairman, left-footed, great wand, yeah. not a great runner anymore, not yeah. a great runner. Well, he won't tackle anybody. He definitely won't edit. <laughs> but with his left foot, he can make goals. Yeah. yeah. And by, by our formation that we were going to play, he would have fitted into that perfectly. I'm trying to pass the ball and play some decent football for a change. So, um, in that last week, that's how Togwell and Cook came to be there. And once we got those two in, uh, I knew I knew then that we would uh, we would win that league. There was there was no doubt in my mind. I told the players, the players were never ever allowed to tell anybody publicly what I'd said. We'd always keep it under the radar. And private between us that we were just going to be the champions there was there was there was nothing going to stop us yeah. nothing we were too good too good too many good players too many um just too good and um, i mean I, I had a look right through the season records as well went through goals went through patterns of everything and i think up until january i think it was we didn't lose more than one game in a month um, which obviously set us aside well from everyone else. Um, and then at the back end of that season, I think we lost the first first game in March, and that was it. We didn't lose another game again for the for the rest of the season. Um, but also in that final little period, though, the team selection was very very similar. There wasn't a lot of change. You could see where you've gone four four one, four four two, with the type of opposition we were playing. Um, was that a help having that quality again within the squad of having that rather than having 
you know, 25 players you can call upon? Did it make it that little bit easier to select the team? Well, I can never see the point of having 25 players. I just think that's pointless. Mm. Um, when, when, you, when you are the manager, you've generally got 11 happy players and the rest of them are not going to be that happy. They are the ones you have to manage and you have to look after and you have to take care of because they want to be playing. They yeah. don't want to be sub. They don't want to be doing the training after training to keep them fit. They miss the buzz of the games, which is fully understandable. So most of my work, most of your work as a manager is done with that other group. The rest of them, as long as the training and the preparation through pre-season has been done, we changed our formation to play four, one, three, two. So it's two up front, three attacking players, one holding central midfield player, kind of defender, defender, yeah. and then two fullbacks that could get forward as often as you can, but they can only go forward as long as you've got passes in the middle of the pitch. So if you play route one, back to front, passes, long passes, like diagonals all the time, your fullbacks can't get there because you don't ain't got time. Yeah. If you pass it through the midfield players and have some rotation of those midfield players, it allows your fullbacks to get forward. And there were times, particularly leading up to Christmas, where I'd be sat there in that thing at the back of back row of that director's box behind the um, technical area. And after 20 minutes, the game was over. <laughs> We'd won already. Yeah. They couldn't, the other team couldn't get the ball. They'd just be running around trying to find where the ball was. And Stacky would have it at the back. Both centre-backs would go wide. Togwell would come back through the middle. Elliot would go over to the left. If, any other, if we got closed down really high, Stack, he could just pass it over to Elliot, or he could bypass Togwell and clip it behind Togwell into the central midfield players, which were all could handle the bows. Yeadon, uh, Cook, um, uh, Weston, uh, not so much him, but the other three, they could all play. Mm. And then when we didn't have it that way, Gash would also come into that little pocket in central midfield for Stacky to pass. And we would just, with the times, you just pass the blinking ball away. It was, it was brilliant to watch. I've never done that sort of stuff before. George Graham had not taught me all that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, but I set myself out. To, <laughs> he didn't play like that. Um, and then, of course, we had the other centre forward who was quite good. Um, and we had the option then of going long to put it in behind for him to run onto. Um, and, you know, he, he, and, that, and that is how we built that group of players up. And we practised and practised and practised and practised and practised on that training pitch. And um, we played, I think, Peterborough in pre-season. And Barry Fry turned around and said to me with about 10 minutes to go, because I was sat in the back row of the director's box where you get a better view. He, he turned around to me. He said, Martin, he said, your team's going to win the league. He said, you play like this. He said, no one will touch you, son. No one will touch you. And I said, Barry, I said, we'll win it by 10 points. And he laughed. Mm -hmm. And I said, Baz, I'm not going to say exactly what I said, but Baz, mm -hmm. I said, you can stop flipping laughing. I said, trust me, 10 points, no one will touch us. Yeah. We have too many good players. Akinde, Yeardong, uh, Weston, uh, Gash, and we just had too many good players. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing noticing this morning as well, when you look at the table, we finished with a goal difference of plus 48. 
Um, obviously, you know, John Akindis, 31. But then you've got Curtis's run of goals towards the end of the season that were very crucial in getting some of those results. Um, Cookie chipped in six, I think, six or seven he got. Luisma as well. Um, a bit like Paul's team of 10 years before that, there were goals all across the team. Although John scored 31, Grazzi only got 29, there wasn't a reliance just on one player to put the ball in the back of the net, which repeated itself with your team 10 years later as well. Yeah, you can... Um, well, that way of playing, it allows all different people to get forward. Um, I'm not sure Elliot scored that many, but he had plenty of opportunities. One, I think. And just going... Just, uh, pardon? One, I think he got. One. But he had plenty of opportunities and he was often an assist, so I'm sure Elliot would be quite high on assists because yeah. he used to play like a winger. It's just, it just reminded me a little story that you're, um, you're telling me uh, as you mentioned those names. Uh, when we got to a week before the first game away at Chester, we had the training and we'd done our set plays. We knew that I named the team on the Tuesday, I think, so they all knew. And we went through the, some set plays and then... Uh, Paul Cook said to me, um, no, sorry, Lee Cook, not Paul Cook. Yeah. Lee Cook said to me, uh, Gaffer, he said, uh, who's taking the penalties? So as he said it, John Akinde put his hand up. Yeah. He went like that with his finger. Cook, he said, <laughs> Cook, he said, John, John, steady on, mate. He said, you taking the penalties he said and he's a proper penalty taker he said someone <laughs> kick the ball properly he said you ain't taking the penalties he said I'll take the penalties and John looked at me he said Gaffer I'm taking the penalties so I said Lee he's on the penalties Lee looked at me with his eyes rolling and went <laughs> and walked off <laughs> I stand to be corrected, but I think we got a penalty away at Chester. I think we did. Mm, and did, yeah. John gets John gets hold of the ball. <laughs> Cookie's on the left side of the 18-yard box, looking back at me in yeah. the technical area. Like, as in... Yeah. <laughs> I just ignored him. John took the penalty in that style that we all now know that he's got, yeah. where the goalkeeper goes one way and John waits and waits and waits and just passes it into the other bottom corner, which is like top, top skill. That's just not, that's just like a brilliant skill to be able to have, to be able to do that. Top, top players do that. Cookie looked at me when the penalty went in and he walked back to the halfway line shaking his head and none of us could believe how John Akinde had taken that penalty and Cookie just grinning, walking back towards me saying, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. None of us could and of course he went on to score so many fantastic penalties for us. Yes, he did. And then roughly now, well, about a minute's time, I think, in the Gateshead game would be when Mario notches the second goal. And gives us that title. Um, again, what that was that just back? after Stacky made that. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. It yep. was just after Stacky made that brilliant save as well. No other way. We scored the first, then Stacky, Stacky saved. I think they had a chance before that as well from a header. Yeah, from about the eight, just outside the six-yard box, and Stacky went down to his right and made just a after, great save. Just after. Yeah, 
was it? Yeah, literally just after we'd scored and then they went down and, yeah, he pulled that one out. Absolutely top draw. Um, but watching that game back this morning, the, the set pieces um, as well, the delivery into the box for um, Mario's first goal, the delivery from the corner, with Gash's run across the front of that defender. Um, I'm assuming that's something you noticed that Gates were a bit weak on and worked on quite hard during the week. Well, I think every um, I think every Barnet fan would recognise that um, we'd spent a lot of time on the training pitch. That um, if we didn't play well and goals weren't going in, we'd always have a chance. And this is how I sold it to the players. If we didn't play well, if we won one nil off a corner or a wide free kick, it would be a good result. Yeah. Because there were going to be times through a big, long season where you're not going to play well. It, it's not It's not great, you know what I mean? With Mauro, we put Mauro in for that wide free kick because we didn't think that anybody would expect Mauro to score with a header. So they, they wouldn't expect him to be even going in. They'd have thought it'd be one of the two on the edge of the 18-yard box yeah. waiting to go in. Well, the lad that they had uh, marking Mauro was like a little winger. <laughs> Mauro can jump. Yeah, he can jump. And we had Michael Gash staying in the middle. And yeah. from the middle, on, as soon as the runner, as soon as the taker was about to, was started his run up to kick the ball in, Michael Gash moved from the middle. He came away from the goal and went round the outside and round the back. That was their main marker out of the way, yeah. main header of the ball. So we decided to get their main header of the ball out and let Mauro go through the middle on that gap that Gash was leaving. So we practiced that, we trained on that. And um, when it went in and Mauro had scored it, it was a remarkable moment. Um, the players loved it as you rightly say it was a good delivery yeah. but the training of the players because when you get into big games your mind can go a bit frazzled and um, you, you can freeze you can freeze um, these players didn't there was no way they were going to freeze no way there was no way they were going to freeze Mauro again that goal was brilliant and then Gash Gash's header we always had Gash starting on the six-yard box, going uh, uh, to towards the in-swinger, inside the near post, anything that was whipped and a little bit short. Yeah. We always thought Gash would be good at getting that touch. And, um, you know, not trying to make out that, you know, I'm Mr. Magic Man, but uh, we practised that and worked on that on the training pitch, that move for Gash to get across the first player at the near post of Gateshead get that touch and my god Mauro smashing it in <laughs> 2-0 it was over wasn't it yeah comfortably um, I mean we could have had another two or three after that we could have had a couple before that Curtis's shot that cannoned off the top of the bar as well which looked look when he left his boot that was going in um, but um, yeah, I mean, the other thing you noticed as well was like, I know I know Gateshead didn't have a lot to play for on that but right from the off right from the first minute you could see that it was going to be we were going to pepper and pepper and pepper until we hit the back of that net. Um, there wasn't any let up, you know, for 90 minutes almost. I think two two decent chances. I think Gates had had, you know, the entire game. Yeah, one brilliant save. Stack. Yeah. Stack um, one brilliant save. Yeah. 
Um, and when you think he didn't have a lot to do all afternoon, that's the sort of time the keepers end there. Not, you know, they can be off of it because they've not had anything to do. But um, that save's just as crucial as the two goals that went in as well. Yeah, there was that save. And there was one other save. We played away at Kidderminster. And I think we were losing 1-0, second penultimate game. It was a hot day. We weren't playing well. And Kidderminster hit a shot from about 25 yards. Uh, it hit a defender's ankle and was going back in the other corner. Deflection. So he was going one way and yeah. he turned and he made a save to push it the other way. I think that moment, yeah. <laughs> that moment, if it had gone 2-0, we were done. Yeah. 2-0. Bristol Rovers, I think, were winning at the time. Yeah. If it had gone 2-0, we wouldn't have got that back. And then, um, of course, he made that save. Um, it, it was a world class. It was unbelievable save. Unbelievable save. And then to go down the other end and uh, soon after and to get that equaliser. Yeah. Um, brilliant moment. Brilliant moment. And then that geezer scored for Dover, didn't he? Yeah, Ricky, yeah. Ricky Modest, yeah. yeah. I've seen him a few times. I always give him a hug and a ball. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky, oh man. Um, and then uh, obviously the final whistle goes, and Rovers have hit seven, but nowhere near as good as our two. Um, how good was the feeling when the whistle went then compared to the first title you won with Gillingham? Uh... The Gillingham one was my first. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's an amazing to be able to sit here like this on a Saturday afternoon and just chit and yeah. chit chat and reflect, to, you know, to, to talk, to be able to say that you've won two league championships. Um, you know, this medal is special. I've got another, you know, champions medal upstairs. And I always, I always said to the players, um, it's good to get promoted. It's great to be a champion. We drilled that in right from day one. Yeah. And the day that we got promoted, I don't, I can't remember who it was against. Um, who did we play when we got promoted? That was that day. I always maintain that you've got to be a champion. You want to be a champion. You've got to be a champion. And to, to to be crowned champions at home um, in front of a sellout crowd, biggest crowd that club's ever had at that uh, that stadium, and for those players, those players were um, <laughs> they were like my um, I wouldn't say my sons um, extended family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We had um, John. The First was absolutely brilliant. He never got enough credit yeah. for what he did. He was like player. Uh, he did all the warm-ups, yeah. all the training warm-ups. He used to do all my bits and pieces of paperwork. He used to do all the analysis on the opposition. He worked unbelievable hours, John Nurse. He was absolutely brilliant. And like I say, he never, ever got enough credit um, for what he did to help us get to that championship. He was one of the best. <laughs> but then apart from uh, um, 
him. We had uh, Sam Togwell. Yeah. Lee Cook. Yeah. Graham Stack. Yeah. Um, and Yeardon. Yeah. Who? Charlie McDonald. Charlie McDonald. Yeah. Charlie McDonald and Yeardon. Yeah. Always, always in my office. They they used to tell me what they wanted to do. <laughs> they could tell me when they were tired. They used to tell me when they wanted more work. And we managed to build ourselves um, a unit of, um, I think there's a car that's gone past my blinking house. I've done, I'd heard a car for ages. Mm-hmm. Um, we managed to build a, a respect and a trust. And um, I, it wasn't like a George Graham style of management. It wasn't like me in my old days. It was like, well, what do we need to do today? How are you feeling? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And and they all used to contribute, all of them, yield on more than anybody. Stack, full on stack, full on. I can imagine opinion, that. Opinion, um, great with the players. We never had a rule book apart from on the pitch, which comes from the PFA. Everything they'd done off the pitch, there was only one one rule maker, and that was Graham Stack. If there was a problem, um, Stack could sort them out. Mm. That was it. And nobody would dare, dare anything or let him down. Nobody. And nobody would let each other down. There was no ill discipline. There was no, well, I didn't find anybody. I don't like finding them anyway. Um, but I didn't have any opportunity to have a chat with them and say, look, this is not the right way to do things. Between Nursey and Stacky, Charlie McDonald and all those players, they just all did the did the dressing room for me. They made it happen. And they all wanted to be champions. You want to be a champion. We knew we were going to be champions. Live like a champion. Be a champion. Uh, behave like a champion. And they did it remarkable Excellent. and obviously you've got a really good relationship with uh, Tony Kianthaus what goes through your mind every time the phone rings and it's his number buzzing up <laughs> um, he doesn't ring me very often uh, he rings me every now and then yeah. every now and then I ring him um, I think he's done a remarkable job at that football club. It's uh, it's, it's tough in a way that the fact that, um, in, a, in a couple of ways, number one, the fact it's moved from Barnet over over to where it is now, Harrow, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a big decision. It's a big move. And um, I know, I know there's a lot of supporters that are never, ever going to be happy with that which I can understand, and I think he can understand. Um, it's a brave move to move it over there. The losses that that place makes, the whole site, and how he keeps it going, is uh, how he manages to keep it going, all the different bits and pieces that he has there to try and bring money in to keep the club alive, is, um, is fantastic. Um, he's always backed me and supported me. Yeah. Whenever I've needed players, he's, um, I don't think he's, re- he's very rarely ever said no. 
rarely ever said no. We've never come to any disagreements on players. He don't know nothing about players, to be honest. He's got so many businesses that he runs. Yeah. He's got he's got so many things going on. He's got so many things going on. I knock on his door and he'll look round and he'll say, What do you want? And I say, I want to talk about Saturday. And he'll look at me again. He'll say, What do you mean? What about, what about Saturday? He said, Just get on with it. And he'll get back onto his thing and he'll be looking at his screen and doing all his work. And then his phone will go. And then his landline will go. And then somebody will be knocking on his door. He's got so much going on. He don't care. He just says, Martin, get on with it. And that is why I get on good with him. Because he never bothers. He never bothers me. Never. He never bothers me. He's got so much to do. Other chairman that I've worked for, I'll pop in and see me and let me know what you're doing in training. Which centre forwards are we looking to buy? Because I want to have a little chat and I want to have a look around so I can get, you know, I'll give you some options as well. I don't want your flipping options. Yeah. I'll pick the options. You go and sell or do whatever you're doing. So, no, that's how, that's how it's worked with him. Um, I do find it difficult, and I don't think he'll mind me saying, I do find it difficult um, because his job, he, he cuts the costs of companies and how they run. That's what he does. Right. Okay. So if he's got 100 people working in a business and it's losing money, he'll buy that business and then he'll, he'll make like 60 people redundant and he'll tell the other 40, you're all staying on, but you'll have to work an extra hour, two hours every day. If not, you're going to lose your job. And you might have to come in on Saturday mornings. If not, you're going to lose your job. But in six months' time, and that company's now making a profit, mm. he sells it. That's what he does. That's his business, bottom line. So when it comes to football, it's the same. And when we're going away to Chester for the first league game of the season, all these senior pros that have played at a good level, and we're talking about high standards of behaviour and conduct, I had to let the players know on the Tuesday <laughs> that we weren't going. There's no overnight hotel stay on the Friday night up near Chester because yeah. we've got to travel Saturday morning. Well, Chester's quite a long way away. Yeah, 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 I've been, yeah. Yeah. Just a long way away. And you've got players in there, including myself, that if it was over an hour, hour and a half, two hours, you'd go overnight. It was like hotel. It was that was it. So I tried to sell it to them. Anyway, it was at an 8.30 arrive at um I can say underhill then. No, the five. <laughs> <laughs> 8.30 at underhill. 8.30 at the Hive <laughs> and um, bring your pillows so you can have a nap on the way up. Bring yeah. your own pillow. Okay. And then we'd have food on the coach on the way up there. No hotel stop for food. So we'd have some food on the thing which uh, John Nurse and our, uh, our physio Jade would make for the players on the coach. Yeah. So no stop-offs at hotels for posh food. So the senior players are going, what? What we doing? What's all this about? And I said, well, that's, we ain't got no money for it. Halfway up the motorway, you go past Birmingham, 
the bus driver turns around, Rick, and says, Gaffer, there's been a crash on the M6. He said, do you want me to divert or carry straight on? OCD, I want to know which route we're taking, because I know all those motorways through driving all the time. And I said, no, just carry on. Five minutes later, he turns around, he said, Gaffer, his motorway's now closed. He said, uh, do you want me to turn off? <laughs> so I said, what do you mean he's closed? He said, there's been a fatal crash. He said, we can't move. He said, it's stuck. He said, because it's a Saturday and it's nice weather, the yeah. road's packed. I said, yeah, get off at the next junction. So we go off the next junction, go about 100 yards, and it's packed solid with traffic. We could not move. It's boiling off. Yeah. And the players are looking out. The players are looking out the coach windows like, <laughs> get me out. <laughs> and we're getting closer and closer. Kickoff's at three o'clock. And we're still on the bus. We're like two hours away. And we're not moving. Anyway, we're crawling along the slowest bus journey you've ever seen. I rang the Andrew Aidy at the ground about the team sheet. And the referee knew about the delay on the motorways. So we weren't going to get in any trouble. It wasn't us being haphazard with our timing. We were plenty early enough. So we, we, I was okay with all that in the rules. So Andrew Aidy put the team sheet in for us. And it got to about half past two. And I had a phone call from Andrew Aidy at the ground in the dressing rooms. Do you want me to speak to Posh? All right. Oh, lovely. Thank you. He said, Martin... That's my wife, by the way. <laughs> Martin, he said, do you um, want the kickoff to, to be delayed? So I said, uh... I looked round behind me. Stacky was sat just behind me. I said, Stacky, we're going to get there at 20 to 3. Yeah. 20 to 3, if we carry on like this. Shall we have the kickoff delayed, or shall we just get on with it? And he, he said... <laughs> You're allowed to swear on this? No. <laughs> You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. No. He went, Stacky said, delay the kickoff? Nah. Let's get on with it. Let's get up there, get our gear on. We just go out and do it. So I said, okay. Is all the players happy with that? He went, yeah. He turned around and said, boys, get yourself ready. As soon as we get there, straight in the dressing room, get our gear on. We'll go out for the warm-up with our pads and we'll go straight out and play not coming back in after the warm-up let's just go out and do it or do you want to delay the kickoff and every one of them went no three o'clock kickoff <laughs> we got off they all went in we don't we don't do i don't do team talks i don't that's a waste of time with that stuff so they all knew what they had to do so they all came in got their gear on not a mention of the kickoff time they all went out done a few runs up and down um, done what they needed to do. The team stayed out there. The subs came in. You had a bottle of water, boiling hot day. <laughs> I think it was freeing up, wasn't we, in about 20 minutes? Yeah, very quickly, very quick, yeah. Mm. When I came in, when I came in after the game, I got my mobile, turned my phone back on, and the first message that I had yeah. was from Tony Cleanthos. He said, well done, Martin. Great result. I told you we don't need an overnight hotel. <laughs> well done. <laughs> you know what? We I don't think we went overnight for the rest of the season. Right. And the players loved it. Because our mindset 
would not let anything or anyone in get in our way yeah. with negative. Excellent. Right, with that, then, what's your all-time Barnet team, then, of players that you've managed? What did you come up with? <sighs> well, I've been toying with this all week. <laughs> There's going to be some very, very disappointed players. Go on then. There's going to be some supporters that are going to be thinking he's mad. Yeah, but that's, you know, everything's open to opinion and debate, isn't it? So, how I kind of, I've been writing this out all week, um, trying to work out and trying to remember, because I have edited a lot of footballs, um, what would be the kind of best Barnet 11. And then I had, had to add to it seven subs. Yeah, I did allow you seven. So my goalkeeper, my best goalkeeper, I think we've had. Um, and I'll be open to ideas. So, so if you've got ideas from supporters coming in, yeah. I would, I'd like some of those back from them as well. Okay. Would be stacking. Would be stack. Stacking, yeah. I think he's the best goalkeeper I've had. Right back. The best... Um, right back and captain that I had um, a proper bloke a really decent bloke and probably one of my best signings was Ian Hendon mm, yeah go along with that left back a great lad a, if he was your son you'd be proud of him quiet unassuming humble hard-working, love him to bits, Elliot Johnson. Yeah. Okay. Two centre-backs, bit of a problem here. This was a dilemma. <laughs> My left side is centre-back. Um, I went to watch a reserve game. Oxford United were playing against Bournemouth on a Tuesday afternoon, 2pm kickoff. At Oxford City's ground, poxy little place. And in front of me, for playing for Oxford, this kid had red rosy cheeks, white face, golden hair, looked a little bit overweight, a bit podgy, a bit slow, but he had an unbelievable left foot. And when it came to a tackle, oh my God, he crunched. He, he was just in front of me, you know, it was me, then the touchline and the lines, yeah. went, and then it was him. I didn't know who he was. I've never seen him play before. I saw the manager of Oxford United after the game. And I said, which ones are you letting go? And he said, oh, that left back. He said, you can have him. <laughs> he, said, uh, he said, I don't think much of him. He said, he ain't, he ain't going to do it. He said, he ain't for me. So I said, oh, yeah, what's his name? He said, oh, Simon King. So Simon King. So I waited for him to see him in the car park. Yeah. And his parents were there. So his parents, I met his parents and invited them up to Barnet. So I brought his mum and dad up to Barnet, showed him where some digs would be, got him to sign a contract for us. Yeah. And I played him at left back because yeah. I still felt he was a little bit slow and not quite strong and quick enough. But with games and full-time training, he got bigger, stronger, quicker, and then and of course, in moving into the middle was the making of him. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. 
So um, I would say Simon King at left yep. side is centre back between Elliot. Yeah. My other centre back, which I was pleased to sign, was uh, Chris Plummer. Um, when I had him, I thought he was a superb player, a superb uh, person. Um, I got him from QPR. There's a lot of clubs interested in him, but I persuaded him to come. And I think for me, and I also had Dave Stevens, Bonds and Gala, and also Greg Heald, um, that would also come into that frame. Um, and I stand to be corrected if there's anybody else. But that's my back four. Okay. And then, this, this is now fun. We had the, a, I've got a right sider, a left sider, and two central midfield players. Yeah. So my two central midfield players would be uh, Togwell, for what he did for us for the whole season. Yeah. As a person on and off the field, he's an absolute diamond of a person. Um, you know, proud of him, really proud of him. Top player and top person. Martin Summers just and brought then up him. Martin Summers just brought up another centre half, Michael Nelson. Sub. Sub, there we go. That's answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Um, the other one that to play next to him, um, this is a good one. This might surprise people, but I'll tell you the story. Uh, my first game, I think, was away at South End. Yeah. And the centre black we had was called Michael Hector. Yeah. Um, who's the centre forward that South End had that night? Uh, who was manager at Millwall and then he's gone down to Cardiff? Neil Harris. Neil Harris, yeah. Neil Harris, Neil Harris was playing for South End. And our, this is my first game. I think it was a Friday night. And my first game, and Hector was playing centre back. And Neil Harris absolutely terrorised him. Oh, my God. I took him off after half an hour. <laughs> Is that bad? Oh, he got the eyes and that horrible face. <sighs> and at half-time, I absolutely hammered him. And it was, it was embarrassing how good they were to how good we were. It was awful. So I got him in the office on the Monday. And our next game, I think, was against Wimbledon at home. <laughs> And uh, I said to him, you're going to play um, central midfield in this game. And it's a game we've got to win. If I ever see you play like that on the Friday night, I'll be sending you back to Chelsea. And I'll write a proper report. I know the people at Chelsea. You'll be gone. Never, ever to play again. Get your head down because he needed a kick up the backside, that boy. When we played Wimbledon that day, he was absolutely superb. <laughs> he was brilliant and then when we were winning and quite comfortably I moved him back to centre back yeah that was his best position but that day that game I think he would have you'd have to say that he, he was awesome so my, going back my two central midfield players Togwell and Hector um, you know I had Curtis Weston on here I had John Doolan on here who was a good player as well um, I'm sure there's quite a few others that I haven't mentioned. 